Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Jay Stevens Podcast, part of the Off the Ball Network. This is episode 225, dedicated to a man who on October 5th, 1956, became the fourth New York Yankee to hit a World Series Grand Slam, Mr. Yogi Berra. And as always, thank you for listening and downloading another episode of the podcast. On today's episode, we are joined by Mr. Philip Jordan. He is the host of the Philip Jordan podcast and talking SEC as him and I go around college football and hit on so many things that are at the forefront of this college football season. From Alabama and Georgia's dominance to the Ole Miss running Rebels, Lane Kiffin, Matt Corral, to Texas, to Oklahoma, hit a little Red River, to Ohio State, C.J. Stroud, even go back last year, talk a little Devonta Smith, Mac Jones, Najee Harris. Philip and I love college football. And when it comes to going around college football, he is the perfect person, the ideal person to do just that. This college football season has been fun. A little different, a little chaotic as some may call it, but it's been fun. It's been enjoyable. There's been a lot of excitement. There's been a lot of surprises, and Philip and I are going to hit all of those today. So I'm going to back away, take a trip to the state of Alabama as you and I will enjoy my conversation with Mr. Philip Jordan, the host of the Philip Jordan podcast and Talk at SEC. And joining us now here on the Jay Stevens podcast, it is Philip Jordan. He is the host of the Philip Jordan podcast, the host of Talking SEC, and he is a producer on 96.9 The Legend as well for high school football for them. Philip Jordan, how you doing? Jay, it's good to talk to you. We haven't done this in a while. I actually no. we did this last week, last week <laughs> on my show. So uh, I am, I am, I am venturing in, into into your territory this week. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. A little trade-off. I hopped on yours. You hop over here. And Philip Jordan, this football season has been fun. It's been intriguing. It's been interesting. You and I, I cover Ohio State for Locked On Podcast Network. You cover Auburn for the uh, last word on college football. So a little Big Ten, a little SEC action. But this college football season so far, not just Big Ten, not just SEC, just the entire landscape has just been interesting, fun, and I keep coming back for more to see what kind of chaos is going to happen each and every week. You know, it seems like once we get past one and two, you can mix a lot of these teams up. And it's, it's I mean, so many top 25 teams have lost so far this season. Teams, you, it's just, I'm not saying there's parity this year. This is not the NFL. There's not parity. There's still the teams, you know, the elites are going to do what they're doing. But once we get past one and two, can we say with confidence? And I think we talked about this last last week when you were on my show. Who's number three? Who can you say with confidence is number three right now? I mean, I'm sure everybody has their opinions, and we maybe thought last week it was Oregon. They get knocked off by Stanford. Uh, Ohio State's obviously they got to be in the conversation. We're going to have a big game in Big Ten with Iowa and Penn State this week. I know you're not. You know, we had a, our discussion about Cincinnati last week online as well. So, I mean, there's so many teams that you could actually throw out there. Who is number three once we get past, you know, Alabama and Georgia, unless you're talking to Danny Cannell? <laughs> I was wondering if you're going to fit that in there. No, but I think you're right. I mean, look at the current AP poll came out on Sunday afternoon. You got Alabama one, Georgia two. They have solidified those spots based off how they have played. Very, very, very strong defenses. 
Here's the interesting thing. You go to Iowa, Iowa's defense is elite as well this season through five games, five and oh. Penn State's defense, really, really good as well. I think we kind of have fallen in love, not to make any bad statements. We've fallen in love because the SEC just means more down there, down south. We've fallen in love with Alabama. They have a track record of success. We've fallen in love with the thought of Kirby Smart in Georgia. And when they do play good, they are going to get catapulted. Now this year's team does look really, really good. But when you got an Iowa, a Penn State, you got a Cincinnati at five, that's not your normal guys that are knocking at the door to be number one or number two. And I think this year people are saying one and two is solidified but people have looked over three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, And I'm not sure if they should go that far and say, we're going to look over those other schools because they don't have the brand recognition of Alabama or Georgia. Ohio State's a completely different story. We'll touch on them here in a second. Yeah, you're right. And really, when you look at, I mean, okay, Iowa, their resume is good. I mean, they have beaten some, some good teams in there, some teams, you know, Iowa State was one. They opened in game Indiana. They've got a good resume. And honestly, could you put that against Georgia's? You know, Georgia just beat Arkansas, which I think Arkansas is a good team. And then that's yes. one problem I'm going to have now coming out of okay, everybody's going to look at that, what Alabama and Georgia just done. And I say, those teams aren't any good. No, those are two good teams that they just smashed. Yes. Yes. You know? And Iowa, and they were very impressive on Friday night against Maryland. Maryland had been a team that put some points on some people, you know. Uh, to his little brother has been playing well, five interceptions, and that one four in the first half, as me and you were talking about off air before we got going here this evening. So there are some good teams out there. You know, Alabama and Georgia, they're getting all the love right now. And I'll say this about Georgia. They are good when they play against teams that they are more talented than. Because I will say this, we always talk about Alabama's talent. Georgia is just as talented as Alabama. They, they look at the five stars. They have just as many as Alabama does. But Kirby Smart teams don't play well when they match up with teams just as talented as they are. They fall apart. Kirby Smart has problems. And we'll see. Penn State and Iowa. Look, I think a good test for how good Penn State is, if they win Saturday, what does Auburn do against Georgia? Hmm. If Auburn hangs with Georgia on Saturday, a team that Penn State beat in a very close game, and a Penn State beats Iowa, or even if that game is close between Iowa and Penn State, Penn State loses, I think that helps out both those programs tremendously if Auburn is able to just hang with Georgia. I think no one out there listening to this is expecting Auburn to beat Georgia. I know I'm not. But if they make that an interesting game, then Penn State say, look, Auburn hung with us, and they hung with Georgia, a team you say may be the best team or at least the second-best team in the country. I think that, that could be an interesting development on Saturday if Auburn can hang with Georgia. Yeah, it, it very well could. Not just that matchup there, but you mentioned Penn State and how they play Iowa this week. They play Ohio State at the end of the month. I believe it's October the 30th, Halloween weekend of all things. They go from State College to Columbus. Ohio State's wearing their color rush uniforms, all red from head to toe. Not sure why they're not doing the all black Halloween weekend, all black look, black helmet, black shoes, black socks, black pants and jersey. That's my thing. I think every little side note, I think Jay thinks every college football team, or every football team in general, college and NFL, should have an all-black jersey. I just think you could find the color scheme to make that work. It's a great look for a weekend like Halloween weekend. Wear it once a year. Great jersey sales. A lot of schools out there are allowing their players 
to make money off of their jersey sales name on the back, officially licensed jerseys. So that's a great way to make some money off of that. Having a seasonal thing, just watch the money just get thrown at you by all these teams and these fans want those jerseys and want those players. But Penn State not only has Iowa, they have Ohio State. And I don't want to harp too much on Ohio State right now, but I think early on, we're going to be all over the place, Phillips, so just, just hang with us. I think early on, Ohio State's currently the number seven team in the country. Got to add a week two loss to Oregon, a seven-point loss. Didn't really look any impressive. Um, really had some really bad moments if you look at how I view the game. They're not a team that I would not I would want to play right now. Now, they've only had two games where they scored 50 points back-to-back games. Only two. They've, they, they scored, I believe, over 40 points in every game but one. So their offense is starting to click, but they have some things on defense that are working for them. And not just that Iowa game. But Penn State, Ohio State, at the end of this month, is another huge test for those Nittany Lions. Yeah, absolutely. So if they get through Iowa, then you do play, like I said, Ohio State. And then Ohio State, I mean, everybody else will say, well, they haven't played as good. Look, they run through their schedule. They're getting in (laughs) at the end of the year. I've got their schedule pulled up right here right now as you were talking. So let me look at the schedule. Okay, yes. At the end of the month, they do play Penn State at home. And then you look at, we'll see if these two teams continue playing well enough that they are still top 25 teams. Michigan State's playing really well this year. And, look, I have been hard on Jim Harbaugh. I will admit it. They're playing good. They're 5-0. and They're number nine in the country. You know, they've had some good wins. That's a big win. You know, those are some big matchups. And then I was not on that schedule because I was on the other side. Mm-hmm. What if I would just say they had get the one loss or they beat Penn State, their top 10, top 15 team in the Big Ten championship game? That is another – I mean, Ohio State has such a, a great schedule ahead of them. They're going to prove themselves. And then, honestly, they get into the playoff. And, look, SEC people that may, you know, maybe that follow me, maybe checking this out, they might get mad at me what I'm about to say. They will be battle-tested. And going into the playoff – and they may be perhaps ready because Iowa's defense is really good. And it's very – I'm not going to say as same amount of talent, five stars as Georgia, but it's a really good defense. So that would kind of give them battle-tested too if they get in a playoff going against an Alabama or a Georgia just because what they could go through in the Big Ten schedule. This just popped into my head when we're talking about Iowa. Think back, was it last offseason or offseason, two offseasons ago, they were talking about the culture – and the racial issues that were inside of the locker room there at Iowa. Um, I don't know how I, the coach, Kirk Ferentz, I think it's the conditioning co- coordinator was involved in that. I've heard zero, absolutely zero conversations about that. One thing winning does, Philip, and I know you know this is true. Winning covers up a lot of the faults or maybe some bad things that go on in the locker room. When you win, people don't talk about those. They don't expose those things. It's amazing how lately people have forgotten what happened at Iowa that had so many people mad and upset and um, really wishing that Kirk Ferentz got fired. That man's 5-0. and Nobody's calling for his job right now. Mm-mm. And, look, we know the conversation the same will be the same from Jim Harbaugh the week of Ohio State. I'm not hearing anything saying that Jim Harbaugh shouldn't be the coach at Michigan right now. Right. Winning, winning is the cure-all with everything. It, 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 that's just that's just how it is. It feels like in sports, as long as you're winning, those things can kind of be not as talked about as much. But when you start losing, they come back to the surface. And you know, it's kind of like, like I said with Harbaugh. I mean, 
how many people thought Michigan should have moved on from him the last two seasons? And they haven't. And now we, and I'm going, you know, I just said this, I guess I'm going to repeat myself, but a lot of that will come to a head at the end of the year when they play Ohio State. Because obviously they, he could go 11 and 0. If he loses that game, how many people are going to say Jim Harbaugh should be fired? A lot. A lot. I got a question for you. You mentioned that. I'm going to pull up the schedule here for Michigan because I want to make sure I get this accurate. We're talking about Harbaugh. Past couple of years, people have been calling for his head. Before the season, I was very, very vocal. I forget if it was Locked on Buckeyes or this show um, or other shows out there. Locked on Buckeyes, you can talk about Michigan every now and then, sprinkle it in there. People eat it up. So the rest of their schedule goes like this. They have Nebraska on the road. Um, no, let me see. October 9th is this coming Saturday. Yes. They go to Nebraska on uh, the 9th. They have Northwestern should be a win. They play Michigan State on the road in East Lansing October 30th, the same day that Ohio State plays Penn State. So I'm going to ask you this question, knowing the sequence. It's Nebraska a bye week, and then Northwestern at home, and then Michigan State on the road. If Michigan loses to, Min- to Michigan State, does Harbaugh make it back to Ann Arbor, the head coach of the Wolverines? That's going to be interesting because he has struggled. Not just It's not just Ohio State. He has struggled against ranked teams since he's been there. I mean, maybe outside of the first year. I mean, Michigan State's got him a few times, and I know Penn State has as well. And I know Penn State's later on the schedule too because on the 13th of November they play Penn State that week. So those are pivotal games for him. I, it just feels like just from, you know, from afar, the way Michigan runs the program, especially with the president and athletic directors, you know, the way they handle things, I feel like they would let him finish the season unless it just got nasty. And the fact that they're 5-0 and now, I just I, – I have a hard time seeing that. But, you know, I just brought up all that stuff at Ohio State. He needs to beat Michigan State and Penn State especially Michigan State, because he has struggled against the good teams you know, while he's been at Michigan. I mean, he's lost to some bad teams, too, or teams he shouldn't lose to, but he needs to win those games and then get to Ohio State because, I mean, I think if they lose those two, that Ohio State game kind of loses the meaning, you know, the bigness of the game. So, uh, you know, as we look at that, Michigan State and Penn State, I think will be huge games for Jim Harbaugh. For his, he needs to split them. If he can't get both of them, he needs to split those. He can't lose both those games. But if he splits them, if he beats Michigan State, loses to Ohio State, it's the same cycle over and over. Michigan hasn't beat Ohio State since 2011, I believe, the bye week, the the probationary year after the whole Jim Trestle tattoo gates situation. I think the 2011 year, Luke Fickle, the current head coach at Cincinnati, was Ohio State's interim head coach. I believe that was the last time that Michigan beat Ohio State. And I think last year there was a little fear that some Ohio State fans believe that Michigan had so if they split him, he still may lose his job. Like, let's just say he does go 11-1 and one, and he loses to Ohio State by 50. He still might lose his job because you can't you can't consistently lose the biggest game of the year. Oh, no, no, no. I was I was alluding to a more like he needs to split the Michigan State-Penn State match. Sorry. Okay, okay, okay. Then okay. going into Ohio – no, he, he, Ohio State, he loses. The conversation's coming back. That, it, you know, he can't win. Michigan can't beat Ohio State all that once again. But I do believe, like, going into that, he can't not have two losses coming in. So he cannot lose to both Michigan State and Penn State. He needs to split. He need, Preferably, obviously, everybody wants them in Michigan land, wants them to win both those games. But he needs to split them. Preferably, I think, 
you could get away maybe losing to Penn State, but you can't lose to Michigan State in that state, you know, because obviously that game from a fan base standpoint, I would have to believe is more important to Michigan State than it is to Michigan because Michigan, you know, probably looks like, hey, we're above them. It's kind of like I compare it down here in the south. It's like Georgia, Georgia Tech. Yes, Georgia Tech yes. hates Georgia. Yes. Georgia could care less about Georgia Tech. I mean, they're, they're, they're just they're just under their foot, basically. You know, you're just this annoyance that we have to play at the end of the year. You're not our biggest rival. Florida is our biggest rival. We may be yours, but you're not ours. Kind of, I think it's kind of like that. How have you looked at the the SEC landscape right now? I know Alabama and Georgia up tower up top, but how does the rest of the conference look? You know, it's 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 Alabama and Georgia. I mean, pretty much. I mean, coming into the year, Texas A&M was a team that everybody was wanting to talk about hype up as a team that could beat Alabama. I mean, you lost 52 to 24 to them to Alabama last year. I was not buying the hype of A&M, and then I got their second loss. You were replacing Kalamon at quarterback. Say what you want to about him. That's a four-year starter. Yes. You were losing four of your five offensive linemen. Now, for the same things I had people say to me, so, well, Alabama's doing the same thing. Nick Saban has built up credibility where he yes. can replace those guys. Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M has not. And look, look at Jimbo Fisher. He's been a nine-win coach, nine-and-three coach, all of his coach, head coach career, except when he had Jameis Winston at Florida State. When Jameis Winston uh, was gone, even after Jameis was gone at Florida State, they were going like nine-and-three, ten-and-three light years. The same thing is at A&M. Now, I have a buddy of mine that said that he thinks he's like Kevin Sumlin. No, the program is better with Jimbo there as head coach versus someone. They're not going seven and five, but I was not ready to anoint A&M as the team. And really, when you look at the SEC, SEC West, who's number two after Alabama? Is it Ole Miss? A&M? No. Arkansas? Maybe. Auburn? We'll see. They need to pull some more rabbits out of their hats like they did against LSU. And then you look at the East, you coming into last week, you said Florida's obviously the second best team. Look how well they played in Alabama. Now they lose a Kentucky team, and I was kind of intrigued with Kentucky coming to year just because of the emphasis on the passing game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Liam Cohen coming in from the Rams organization, running a more passing offense. Will Levis from Penn State coming in. I've liked what I've seen at him, but they, they've struggled in games too this year, uh, particularly against South Carolina week prior, and then they beat Florida, and now Kentucky. Is Kentucky the second best uh, team in the uh, in the SEC East? I don't know. It's it's just in it, it's Alabama and Georgia. Then it's just kind of like everybody else. There's a big drop off after those two right now. It looks like. Were you expecting that to be the way you going into the season? Going into the season, excuse me. Were you expecting it to be those two teams at the top? I was. I was. I was pretty much set. I, and, and actually, I think I in uh, before the season. One of the two pods, I predicted Alabama and Georgia both to get to the playoff. I felt like they both could go undefeated. Maybe one would slip up. And I felt like if one of the two slipped up during the year, it was going to be Georgia in the opener versus Clemson. Did not expect Clemson to not be the offense uh, that they have been in past years. So I thought maybe if one slipped up, it would be Georgia. Just And that's kind of been Kirby's MO anyways. Playing, like I said earlier, playing against teams that have equal talent. But, you know, but I, I felt going in here, those two teams were destined for Atlanta this year. Florida was going to take a step back with Kyle Trask, Kyle Pitts, all that talent on offense. I felt like I liked Dan Mullen as a head coach. So I felt like they would be number two, just a distance two. And I, I actually did have A&M, though, in predictions to finish second in the West. I just didn't think they were that close to Alabama. 
But even with that said, I did not foresee the just gap between Alabama and Georgia in the rest of the conference. And that's not saying that the rest of the conference isn't good. I think there are some decent teams there. I still think Arkansas is a good team, even though they got beat 37 to nothing against, against Georgia. I think Ole Miss is a really entertaining, fun team. I think they have a chance to win nine, ten games this year under Lane Kiffin. I think Saturday was just – it was not an example of how far away the SEC – rest of the SEC is from, from Alabama and Georgia. I mean, yes, there is a gap. It's not saying that the rest of the conference isn't good. It was just a statement to me that how much better they are than everybody else. I'm curious when you look at the SEC, who is the best player? I'm asking because you do you do a show covering them, and I'm curious because a lot of people have heard Bryce Young's name, they've heard Matt Corral's name. I'm not sure if you view somebody else as a better player currently than them two, who are the big the big names that a lot of people have heard about. I'll tell you, there's there's some guys, and I one guy I think that doesn't get a lot of credit, and he's never going to win an award, and he's never going to win SEC Player of the Year. Kentucky running back Christopher Rodriguez. I've heard that name. He I've is heard really that name. Good. Look, I don't have his stats in front of me. Just that, you know, but he's a guy that doesn't get a lot of respect. Tank Bigsby could be it, but he's apparently, I think he's in uh, Brian Harson's doghouse right now because uh, there's big, big moments the last two weeks for Auburn. He's not been on the field. Uh, they've had Jarquez Hunter, the freshman running back. I, Bryce Young, I, you know, if you're looking at, what he's done. And look, I thought Alabama would take a step back offensively this year. They have not uh, running through that. I mean, LSU's Derek Stingley should be the best player in this conference at corner. He has not, he has not looked that part since his freshman year. Mm-mm. And, you know, I think not. that is a question for the whole country. Who is the best player? I feel like by the default, we say Bryce Young because he's the quarterback at Alabama. I mean, JT Daniels could be it if he could stay healthy, but he's not healthy. They've been rolling with Stetson Bennett. That is actually, when you look at the conference, there's a lot of good teams. I think it's that way in all of college football. But how do you pin down? Who, who's the Heisman front runner? It feels like Bryce Young got a default. See, that's my thing, too. And you can go to the Big Ten. I know week one or week two, Kenneth Walker III from, the, from Michigan State. After last week and a couple after a certain portion of the season, I heard CJ Stroud's name up there as could be not saying he is, but could be in the conversation. Ohio State fans have fallen in love with Travion Travion Henderson, true freshman running back. I don't think I don't think he'll get enough touches to be in that conversation because he has 55 carries on the season. He's already basically showed everybody he's one of the best running backs in the in the country. 55 carries not going along with the touches that he gets in the passing game. He's averaging over 10 yards a touch. I mean, that's how electric he it has been so far. But if you go out, if you go out west, who is it? Spencer Rattler? Well, not really West West, but Spencer Rattler, Spencer Rattler, Oklahoma? No. Bijan Robinson, the guy that I thought was going to be in the conversation? Maybe. Like I don't know. Big game for him coming up this week. Texas, Oklahoma could easily be a statement game there for him. I don't know. I have no idea. And as we talk about this, I mentioned SEC. You mentioned the country. Maybe this is a good spot for college football to gravitate more fans to the game, to watch more intently to these matchups, to say, we're not just looking because Oklahoma, Texas, or Ohio State, Penn State, or down the road, Alabama, Auburn. We're watching to figure out who the best player in college football is. 
Yeah, it, it, you're absolutely right. And it's, it seems like this year is more about the teams. We're not as leaning toward a player. Like last year, you know, especially the second half of the year, became all about Devontae Smith, what he was doing at the receiver position. But this year is about teams. And, you know, kind of quickly I did kind of went over here, a little cheat code. And uh, looked up, Chris Rodriguez is the leading rusher in the SEC from Kentucky. Okay. 612 yards uh, leading the conference in rushing. And, once you know, that's, like, like I said, a guy that's not going to get a lot of talk you know people talk because he plays for kentucky but you know that's you know you mentioned that um i did think about somebody Traylon burks wide receiver from arkansas that's another player let people he has made some big plays this year he's a big play waiting to happen but kind of back to what you're saying i agree with you it's team this year it's not player we're not and we usually i think in college sports is you know in sports we look to the player now it's more about the individuals and not necessarily teams I, mean, I think that's one thing that fantasy football has done to uh, the NFL. It's more about players, not the team. But this year, college football is about the team. Who are the best teams this year? Because there are so many good teams this year that could get in that playoff party uh, or a month out, of, you know, into this season. So it is it is hard to pin down who is the best player, you know, country, conference, any conference. I'm curious. I'm going to go back to last year very quickly because I know Devonta Smith, you mentioned that you mentioned his name and a little thought popped into my head. I don't believe we've talked about it. So this seems like the perfect time to do so. I was a person that believed that Najee Harris was the best player on the offense on the team of Alabama last year. Number two, Mac Jones, Devonta Smith, number three. I think Mac Jones may have been the most important player, the guy that kept the glue, that kept everything going together. I do think at times Mac Jones was a better player than Devonta Smith, and that's not knocking what Devonta Smith did last year when Jalen Waddle went down. Smith really propelled himself to be a better player. I just think Mac Jones was not looked at properly to talk about how good of a quarterback he is. He's in New England, and I think he's wowed a lot of people with how he has looked so far this season. But I firmly thought Najee Harris was a guy. You take Najee Harris off the team, you put somebody else at running back that's not as good as him and at, at, at in all three facets, rushing the ball, catching the ball, and blocking. Devonta Smith does not have the season that he is. Do you still think Devonta Smith is the best player among those three? Najee Harris was the guy. He was like a Swiss Army knife. Because he was not just a good running back. He was a threat out of the backfield. Yes. So that that was a thing with him that made him so valuable. And it seemed like sometimes it felt like he just kind of got lost in the shuffle. And you talk about Matt Jones. I sometimes think the Alabama quarterback gets punished because of how many good receivers are around him. And I think that was because who emerged last year when Waddle went down? John Minchie. Mm-hmm. And just like this year, I think it will come a point where people will look at Bryce Young and say, yeah, but, you know, John Minchie and Jameson Williams are there. You know, Alabama, you know, churning out receivers. Like when Tua was there, you know, you had you had Ruggs and Judy along with Waddle and Smith. Mm-hmm. And and then he had the running backs. He had Najee Harris, too, there. But Najee Harris, I do – I agree with you. He was very underappreciated. But I was good with – Devontae Smith went into Heisman because okay. he just did some receivers. I think no one could cover him. No, just, yeah, that is true. That is very true. The pure route running ability he had. And honestly, I'll, either if one of those two had got it, it was refreshing not to see a quarterback get it. Yes. For once. And a, a receiver of all things, you know, usually if a quarterback's not getting that award, it's a running back. So it was, it was cool to see a receiver get it. But Devontae, I mean, and, and actually – 
it was impressive what he did without Waddle. I mean, John Minchie's good too, but there was an opportunity we could maybe, you know, play W, play a safety over the top, prevent you. He still beat them. There, nobody could stop them. And and another thing, I'm going to get throw it out that Alabama offensive line because how many times did Mac Jones get touched last year? Yeah. Yeah, they may have. They maybe they should have got the award, the Heisman Trophy, the entire Alabama offensive line, the big boys up front who don't get enough love. I was listening to a podcast earlier. I know you listened to the Ron Rosella podcast. I listened to that one. Um, really like what he does there. His uh, originality, his uh, opinions are always authentic, and they're him. If you know how he analyzes sports, you know that he is putting his time in with watching the film, watching the games, and then formulating a well-educated opinion. He had Brock Cured on, and I was catching up with some things that I didn't listen to. And Brock Cured made a, a very good point about Spencer Rattler. You mentioned offensive line. Different things pop into my head. He mentioned how Spencer Rattler and Oklahoma's offense – no, well, not Spencer Rattler, but Oklahoma's offensive line is not up to the caliber that it normally is. You look at what it was when Jalen Hurts was there. You look at what it was when Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield were there. You look at all of those things there – their offensive line is really the focal point, focal point, the big piece that really helps the quarterback be good, not just in that, that offense, but overall. Is the offensive line really what's hindering Spencer Rattler's play right now? I don't know because was the offensive line bad last year when he had meltdowns? Mm-mm. Because he had okay, in the second Mm-mm. half of the year, he was really good. And that's why I came to the year. Look, I, I said it last week, I'll say it again. I predict Oklahoma to be the national champion. Now I'm walking that back now because <laughs> I think I think some moments get to Spencer Rattler, and I think sometimes it feels like Lincoln Riley is does not trust his quarterback. He trusted Jalen Hurts, he trusted Kyler Murray, he trusted Baker Mayfield, and let, let let's repeat that he trusted Baker Mayfield. He does not seem like he trusts Spencer Rattler because there's some games I watch. Does Oklahoma really push the ball down the field like they used to? Mm-mm. Because because he does not trust that quarterback to not throw an interception. Because he's had he's done it this year. He he had you know against Tulane. Tulane was what a yard away from getting a first down. They could they could have beat Oklahoma. Yeah. So I I feel like this is a team where the head coach does not trust the quarterback. I, so offensive line. You know, and Brock Hewitt was one of the best out there. So far beyond me, a guy who never played at the highest level like he did to disagree with him there. But I also think there's some there's some stuff going on the head of Spencer Rattler that sometimes certain moments in games get to him and he starts making mistakes. And I think that translates into Lincoln Riley doesn't trust him. You know, this weekend, there's a game. I didn't ask you to pick this game, but we're going to close out this, this little show with this little prediction. It is going to be Texas and Oklahoma. I haven't watched very much of either team. I watched bits and pieces. I've seen some good things from Texas, some good things from Oklahoma, struggles from both as well. I'm going to Texas Longhorns in this one. And I'm curious. We heard booze, no, booze were chance previously for true freshman quarterback to come in and for Radler to get benched in the Oklahoma game. Didn't happen. Last year's Red River rivalry, Radler got benched, came back in, and he was part of the reason that Texas lost, that Oklahoma won the game. However, Texas still had chances in overtime. They went to four overtimes last year. Texas had a chance to win the game. I'm going Texas in this one, going outside of the SEC for the only prediction. You and I are together today. 
Who do you have in Red River? Texas or Oklahoma? But is this really outside the SEC? Because <laughs> these two teams are coming to the conference. <laughs> I see what you did there. Oh, man, I got to talk about this a little bit on my podcast later in the week. This is, this is a uh, an SEC, non-SEC, SEC matchup. And uh, then, of course, we're going to have just a little side note. It's going to be interesting. The Florida-Georgia people are going to be arguing with the uh, Oklahoma-Texas, you know, the neutral site game. You know, when we look at it, Oklahoma's undefeated. Texas, the one loss to Arkansas, another SEC friend they are, they are making coming up here soon. I'm going to go Oklahoma. I am. Um, I still think there's some things there with Texas. They got to work on with Sark. Uh, I wasn't really big on that hire to start with. Uh, I think you needed somebody who was a little bit more established as a head coach, but maybe that's all you can, you know, that's the best you could get. I don't know. You know. I wasn't there in the meetings or whatever that took place when they hired him. But I'm, I, I think I'm here. I trust Lincoln Riley. I don't trust his quarterback, but I trust him. And I, I have a feeling – I just feel like Oklahoma's going to win this game. And uh, But if they do, if Texas wins, Jay, is Texas back? No. No. <laughs> I had to ask it. I had no, to ask it. No. I, you had to. I know. I don't want to be the guy that's going to go out there and say Texas is back. I heard Joe Tessitore, what was it, 2015, when Texas beat Notre Dame on that Sunday night uh, opening weekend of college football. Texas is back. No, sorry. I heard um, uh, Sam Ellinger. I think it was Sam Ellinger. We're back after winning the Cotton Bowl. Sorry, buddy. You're not. I'm not saying they're back. I wouldn't even say they're back if they get into the Big 12 championship game. They have been there. You win it, and then I will, con- I will entertain the thought. But no, Philip, I don't believe they're back if Texas wins the game. And then you got to ask, it's fun. We're having fun today. It's college football. Little pre-SEC action for the SEC guy you are. You got to love it. Yeah. Here's me. I'm, I'm going to go further on the Texas is back thing. Consistency. Because they have put out like individual good years. But then the next year, like the Sam Ellinger, what you brought up. They beat Georgia. They had a good year. They had made it to the Big 12 championship game that year. Next year, they weren't as good. For me to be for Texas to be back, put two good seasons together, two 10 win That's seasons it. where you where you are competing for the Big 12 and the college football playoff. But now that's going to transition over into the SEC. I'm not saying you got to win the conference when you get there, but you're going to have to be competitive toward the top of the conference for me to consider you as being back. And the fact of the matter is, I'm say it's about Texas. There's no excuse for them to be what they have been. They have every you know, resource available to them to be one of the best consistently. Does it, it should not matter who the head coach at Texas is. They should be winning 10 games a year. But that's just a little soapbox for me. But when they get to the SEC, I'm just going to say, what Arkansas gave you, you got a whole bunch of other ones that can give it to you too. We'll close it right there. Philip Jordan's because let everybody know on Twitter where they can follow you and where they, where they can catch all, all of the shows you host as well. Oh, yes. If I said anything here that upset any fan bases or if I made you happy with some stuff I said about some people, you can follow me on social media at P. Jordan SEC and uh, the Talking SEC podcast. It's on uh, all your favorite podcast platforms. So is the Philip Jordan pod. And actually, if you just subscribe to Talking SEC, you get both because I'm putting the Philip Jordan podcast in that feed as well right now. But you just want the Philip Jordan pod. It has its own feed. 
And uh, on Friday nights, if you're if people listen to this are in the southeast Alabama area, you want to listen to some good high school football, you can hear me uh, doing Dustin Woods football on 96.9, the legend, every Friday night. Philip Jordan, glad to have you back. Little pre-action last week, I was on your show. You're on mine now. You won't be gone for very long. You'll be back here very, very soon because there's a lot to talk about in college football, and the season is about to get good. Man, thank you for coming back, Philip Jordan. I really appreciate it. Oh, man, Jay, I appreciate you. You have me. I was a lot of fun. That was fun. From all of the SEC talk to the Ohio State potentially rising up and being a team that many people think can be dominant this season, to Texas and Oklahoma in Red River, so much to hit on, so much we didn't talk about. That's just how much is going on right now in this college football season. If you don't follow me on Twitter, I thoroughly encourage you to do so. There will be an announcement coming up about a new show that I will be a part of. Thank you guys so much for listening and enjoying another episode of the Jay Stevens Podcast. If you could, in your free time, head to Apple Podcast. Leave a five-star rating and a comment. It is greatly appreciated. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at jsteven07. And if you would like to send an email, the email is open. It is available at jstevenspod at gmail.com. This has been episode 225 of the Jay Stevens Podcast. I will see you next time.